Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. The last time I spoke to Danny Fegan, it was about his single, The Halfway Hotel, and that appears in some artwork behind him as we're speaking now. Uh, now I'm going to talk to him about quite a different song, The Fight Song, which has an appropriately impactful video to go with it. And we'll talk about that too. Hi, Danny. Blood, I had to keep the old song up here. Just <laughs> How is that? I'm very well, thank you. And yes, we'll get to the fake blood. Um, but first of all, I wanted to start with the fact that the fight song has a rich history because your uncle was a professional fighter. Yeah, my uncle, Johnny Gorkham, he was an Australian champion, pro fighter, light heavyweight champion, I think 78, 79, a couple of years after I was born. So I grew up just hearing all these hero stories and when him and his mates get together and have a few beers, I mean, you just split the size laughing. They're all just got the funny, quick-witted one-liners and I've robbed all their stories, really, because the fight song is just a collation, really, of all these old fellas one-liners. Well, you've robbed them, but also you've clearly been able to remember them because if you heard them when you were younger, you must have just stored them in your brain. Hear them over and over again every time they catch up. Sadly, there's not as many of them around now as what there were. But, um, yeah, no, it's uh, they've got they're sort of legendary around here, all these funny one-liners that they all use and all the rest of it. So I had a few of my own. I've been boxing again for the last five years and, um, you pick up a few things from the gym, some one-liners as well, but it's uh, it's just a good fun song. It came together quick. Like I think I wrote it in about 15 minutes, you know, at the Man from Snow River Festival, and that, that rarely happens for me. This one and that one both came together quick. Maybe I'm getting – I don't know. <laughs> so you said you, – you, well, actually, there are two points I wanted to ask you about. The first one is you said you've done a bit of boxing in the last five years. Now, what brought you to boxing at this stage of your life? Getting a beer gut. I just, I had something. I, um, I actually had a mate down the road here. He's on a farm too, and um, he was blowing right out. And I didn't see him for about three or four months, and he's looking pretty trim and pretty fit. I said, geez, mate, you've done a number on yourself. What are you doing? And he said, oh, I've gone doing a bit of boxing and stuff like that. And I said, gee, I used to do a bit of that in my teens, you know. I said, you mind if I come down? And I said, well, I'll be raining on your parade if I come in with you. And he said, no, come in. So um, it was about five years ago I went in with him and I've been going four days a week since, you know, just to get a little bit fit. It was only for fitness, really. We have some club fights. I've got, I got two broken ribs there two years ago, blew on a fellow who was 30 kilos heavier than me, but he was also 20 years older. So I thought I'd have his number, but he just launched me. But um, it's a bit of good fun. <laughs> um, and the two broken ribs do get a mention in the song. And there's also a line in the song that says, geez, I love boxing. What do you love about it? Or research. That's what, but what I love about this is your research. You go right <laughs> your lyrics and everything before you ask questions. I love it. Um, what do I love about boxing? It's very good for the head. Um, I, I'm a I'm busy. There's half a dozen fellows out here now. You know, there's Sparky's plumbers. Uh, one fellow's on the excavator. It's a we're knocking off. We're having a beer, but busy life. We've got a farm. I own a pub, which is uh, 15 minutes down the road. And, um, I don't know, just uh, yeah, throwing the paws around for, for an hour, it just gets your head right, I reckon, if you don't get it knocked off. <laughs> well, I suppose it's it's 
got yeah, you got to be tactical about it because you're obviously trying to not get hit and you're trying to hit someone else. But you've got to be light on your feet and you do have to be really fit. So I know it's not a sport for everyone, but I've heard from several sources that it is great for fitness and alertness. It, it is actually. I mean, it's um because your anxiety level. So it doesn't matter how good you are, your anxiety is kind of peaking, right? Because you don't want to get hit. So just that gets the heart rate up and the cardio happening and all the rest of it and I mean, I enjoy that side of it. I still can't fight, but I can just lose for a lot longer now. It's, um, yeah, it's just it's good for me. I enjoy it. Well, that also goes to a lyric in the song towards the end, which says there are no winners in that fight. There were just two losers for the first time ever. This mate of mine that I go down there with, not only is it a collation of my uncle's stories and uh, all his mates, um, they used to, you're too young too to remember as well, but, um, there used to be a thing called TV ringside. So when free-to-air only had two or three channels, they used to be down at Melbourne every Friday night. So that was a massive thing. People would sit around their tellies and they'd watch TV ringside and all these fighters come to Australia's ranks. So that's where a lot of those stories came from. But um, can you repeat the question? I've lost it. Oh, I think I was just saying that in the song you say there were two losers, no winners. Yeah. yeah. So the other half of the story is that Mark and I would go down there and spar two or three mornings a week and uh, do a couple other sort of running sessions and that too. But I said to him there one day, I said, you know, the trouble with you and me, mate, is I said, you think you're better than me and deep down I reckon I'm better than you. And so it goes a little bit pear-shaped around, you know, around rounds five and six and seven. It gets a little bit serious. Um, but we always push our reset buttons and go and grab a coffee at the end of it and, um uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a good day out. <laughs> well, one might say the competition's healthy, keeps keeps your edge sharp. Yeah, it, well, it does, doesn't it? They reckon it's the loneliest sport when you're in that ring and you, you're copping a hide and there's nowhere to go, really. So it's, um, yeah, I'm no great fighter. Like, don't get me wrong. It's, uh, I only do it for fitness these days. I've got a couple of prolapse discs from um, some rodeo falls when I was younger and I was no good at rodeo either. I'm actually no good at anything, to be honest. I just kept battling away, but um, I don't know. It just ticks all the boxes. It, it 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 sets up your day, you know. If you go and do that early in the morning, you feel like you're stepping out for the rest of the day. Um, look, I would dare to say that everyone who rides rodeo has an injury of some sort. A few years ago, um, yeah, I wrote a book about bull riders and uh, interviewed a lot of men on the PBR tour and the injuries that I heard about, I just think, if you get on any kind of animal that might buck or jump or do something, you're going to get some injuries. It's it's not when it's it's not if it's when is what they say. But I never rode any bulls, so I always say I never had the opportunity to jump on a bull, um, which is rubbish. I just never had the ticket to do it. But I um I bronc rode for a little while. I rode horses, and uh, I wasn't much good at it. Um, but you know it's a good it was good fun at the time. And my young bloke uh, just turned fifteen and. He won the man from Snow River back in uh, April and he just won the mountain cattlemen's get together on Sunday. Right. So pretty well. And he wants to get into a bit of rough ride. And we've got to shoot down here um, at, on the campcraft arena. Uh, so he does a little bit of bucking out. And a bloke up, up the hill there, Brad Pierce, he's a bit of a legendary uh, Bronco bull rider. He can ride everything. He, he won Cheyenne. He was rookie world champion. Um, Bill, my son, went up and had some lessons with him there the other month and bucked a couple of ponies out. So he seems like he's going to go down that way. I'm not particularly encouraging it, but um, I think unless you're really, really good at it, it's a pretty tough way to make a, a career. 
It seems, well, I mean, I'm digressing here, but uh, it seemed to me that for the bull riders, it was an irresistible thing. Like they just, they had to do it. They didn't question it. They were prepared to spend their weekends driving hours and hours and hours just to get on a bull for however many seconds. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I don't know. I've never been a bull rider, but I can, um, you know, riding the horses, you can see it. And, you know, all that sort of stuff that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned the Man from Snowy River Festival a bit earlier that you wrote the song, uh, the fighting song at that festival. So in the middle of all of that colour and noise of a festival, what made you just sit down and write a song? Wow, well, I'll tell you exactly what happened. I, um, I've played, uh, I've been ingrained in the Man from Snowy River for years. I, I competed in it years ago. And um, as I say, my kids, my girls compete in it too. And, and they did quite well this year and Bill won it. Um, I've been ingrained in it for years. Um, last year I asked if I could have a lesser role. I just wanted to watch the kids compete. I didn't want as much stage time and I didn't want to do the reenactment, a few things, and my mate was running it. And uh, I said respectfully, you know, I love being included in this festival, but I just I just want to watch the kids, you know. And um, as a last-minute call-up, I got called up to do uh, Riders in the Round with Fanny Lumsden and, and Blake O'Connor. And I literally had four minutes' notice. I was watching one um, – do something and I I had four minutes and I kind of started chalking this song out the night before in the halfway hotel and I felt like I nearly had it finished and with four minutes notice I tried to get out of that spot by the way I went and saw Dan who's um Fanny's husband I said mate I'm not prepared for this you know like um I, I can't do this you've got a multiple aria winner golden guitar winner bloody golden guitar winner over here and you got me like I feel like I'm setting myself up for failure and anyway I ran back and I thought well I can't beat these guys and singing ability and gongs and everything else and all the rest of it so I thought I'll go the other way and just do something a bit lighthearted. so I, I quickly finished off a bit of a chorus to the fight song when I went over raced over the horse float to get my guitar and uh, I bought myself a bit of time because I rang Dan and I said I've got no strings on my guitar because we'll do on the main stage shut um, and uh, so, you know, that was a believable thing that I was changing rings, which is rubbish. I was just trying to buy 10 or 15 minutes to finish the song and, and I had some cheat sheets. So when I went back there, I was probably 15 minutes late and I walked on stage and um, these guys are saying, uh, you know, Blake was saying, well, he goes, this was about a, a bad relationship or something and I won a golden guitar for this and I did this and then Fanny said, I won an Ari for this and I did this and I said, well, I won nothing for this and I just wrote it. Um, so I punched out the fight song and it seemed to go over really well. Everyone liked it and laughed and I backed it up when it came my turn again with the Halfway Hotel and I thought, well, these sort of tongue-in-cheek songs seem to be working for me today, so that's why I recorded both. Well, it is it is a song that is chock full of story, I have to say, and it's, and it's not just because you're quoting lines from the, the people you grew up around. It's also because you pulled it together as a story. So there is a whole narrative through it. And we do go on the journey with the narrator, who we presume is you, in the ring. And, and so it is really entertaining. I've listened to it several times and like, yeah, I'm drawn into this story. I want to find out what happens, even though I know what happens because I've heard it before. <laughs> I find it's, um, it's, I enjoy these type of songs on my repertoire too. Like uh, I've always said that like Duncan Toombs does my film clips and things and I said, mate, you know, I, I do my best. I know I'm not the best singer or the best guitarist or whatever, but, you know, music's been good to me over the years. It paid the bills when farming didn't, and I'm enjoying it now. 
But I want to leave a polished article because I'm fully aware that these film clips and things are going to post-date my existence. Um, and I want my kids and my family to be proud of me. Um, so I want to do a quality, quality film clip with the songs and I'm, and I'm quite enjoying not taking them too seriously. Yeah. Uh, bit of fun with them. Like my go-to is Corb Lund in Canada. I've listened to him for years. Uh, Corb Lund is his name. And um, I just love that it's so obvious that he's lived the lyrics because he wouldn't be able to write that way if he didn't understand the lyrics to start with. And it's just a little bit of breath of fresh air, you know, like it's um, it's something a bit lighter. Yeah. Well, and you can hear in, in the fight song that there is a note of amusement or a tone of amusement from you in the delivery of it. So it's this, it's sort of like this self-aware nod to not being that great in the ring. You know, you're in there, you're giving it a go, but, you know, there are two losers in the end. <laughs> Getting bashed up for 10 rounds. That's right. Now, you did mention the film clip, so you, you nicely led into my next question, which is about the film clip, which I said to you before we started recording. I spent a bit of time doing this in front of because the makeup, the blood makeup, is quite realistic. So I'm wondering how long it took to film, given that there are quite a few people involved. There was a lot of makeup. It's There's, there's quite a lot happening in that clip. They did a great job. Um, yeah, Lee and Lisa, who work with Duncan Toombs, um, part of the team. And, and I mean, they go, I think they work, I think Lisa was telling me she moved on to go and work for, uh, oh, goodness, what's the name of that show on Channel 7 where they jump out of helicopters and stuff? They take celebrities. Oh, SAS, um, whatever it is. <laughs> that one. So, I mean, they, these guys are unreal. And, um I thought, you know, I, I want to do it right. And we, we'll, we'll conflicted with time too, because you might remember last time we spoke, I had a shoulder and a sling. I had to get a shoulder, um, which was a, a week after we did those film clips. And I said to Duncan, I said, you know, it normally takes three or four days to do a film clip. We've got to do two in four days. We're going to knock these out. So we just called on the right people. We didn't have time to muck around. And um, they were very, very efficient. Uh, to the point where there was a bit of a tug of war between Duncan's time frames and Lisa and Lee's because we'd be in the back room after two or three rounds. They'd be putting a few more stitches on us and a little bit more blood and that type of stuff. And um, we lent on a crowd of friendlies that stuck with us from about, oh, I think they got there at six at night and they were still there at midnight or one in the morning, you know, and the crowd is starting to part. Um, and actually we ran out of crowd. So, you know, if I was fighting in one corner doing a few things, we'd have to say, right, cut, move all the crowd around to the next corner so Mark could fight in that corner because <laughs> they're all bailing on us. You know, it was one o'clock in the morning. So there was a bit of a tug war between what Lisa and Lee could do and the time frames that were available. Um, yeah, to go more directly to your question, but they were very, very efficient. Very efficient and very effective. It certainly does look like you got beaten up in that ring. Um, so this, the, it does its job. Do you enjoy the video making process? Yeah, I do. I, I do. Um, Duncan's got a great line. He said, it's always a compromise. Um, and, and I must admit, I'm a bit of a micromanager um, in my life. I, um, you know, I like things organised. And Duncan's a very busy man. I, I love him to death. He's so, so cool. Such a great bloke. But he's a very busy man. You don't get his attention until it's your turn, I find. And yeah. um, now it doesn't matter. I don't think Duncan would, would mind me saying this. Um, he's a very busy man, so I start to panic, like two or one week out, that there's nothing organised for this. So I get a narrative, um, I start to work on extras, props, get all this sort of stuff down. 
Then Duncan blows into town like a freaking whirlwind and says, I've got a great idea for this film clip. We're going to do this, this, and this, you know, and we'll have a tug of war. I said, no, well, I wanted to do this, this, and this. So we'll sit down and we'll acknowledge that it's always a compromise and some somewhere we find the middle ground, you know, and, and then we proceed forward from that. Yeah, and right. I haven't shot the lights out with my career, but I've had a good career and so far I'm very proud of it. I think um, the clips are, are really good, the five that I've got there on YouTube, and um, I do enjoy it. I actually really do enjoy that process. The fight song was a little bit out of my comfort zone. There's a little bit more acting in there. Um, Duncan was really good at directing that, saying what he wanted. Um, I mean, I can get on a horse and cut a cow out or go and jump a fence or do something like that. You don't have to act to do that. But the fight song, there was a little bit more acting and stuff in there. So I found that a bit out of my comfort zone, but I still enjoyed it. Well, and it works because, it, yeah, there is a bit of rolling around on the floor. There's a bit of desperate sitting in the corner. So, yeah. You did it very well. Maybe you'll do it again. Acting, yeah. not that film clip in particular. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. I actually thought we'd knock each other out in that clip. I thought at some stage something's going to go a little bit feral here. It was actually very, fairly tame because we had a breakdown in communication. Duncan said he wanted, what did he say? He said, I want full force at 50%. And Mark and I took that like, Okay, so we're going to slow it down for the camera. Right. Full force at the end sort of thing. But what he meant, which we realised later, was don't throw so many punches. He said full force, but just don't throw so many punches, you know. like just And um, so, yeah, so, so looking at it for me, I think, oh, God, I wish I went, we went a bit harder <laughs> doing what we were doing. But uh, there's a bit of a breakdown there on what we were meant to be doing. So we worked it out late at the night, but by then we were already bloodied up with makeup and it was too late to try and do the narrative for the early rounds. Yeah. We still had some fun with it. Yeah, and it is good fun to watch, blood and all, I found. Now, to completely change subject matter, you have recently played a Deniliquin or Denny Ute Muster. How was that? Yeah, it was um, kind of mind-blowing, to be honest. It's, uh, it's massive. It's really... The footprint of the place is massive. I we were really busy that weekend. Like we were competing down at the Mountain Cattlemen's in Merijig, which is three hours from Denny. So I had to get the horses and the kids three hours to Merijig. Pardon me, it was my daughter's 18th. So her and I squirted across three hours to see Brad Paisley play at Melbourne, back to Merijig. Um, then I went three hours across to Denny. The band met me there. We did our spot at Denny and then three hours back to Merijig to sing at Merijig that night for the last act. So we were pretty full on and peddling flat out, but I couldn't help but just be overwhelmed when I came upon Denny. It just, it's got to be over 100 acres, right? Like it's, wow. it's. I've actually never been. I just saw, I've seen the map and of where everyone's meant to put their, their tents or whatever. I just thought that is massive. Yeah. It's akin to coming on Uluru, like driving up onto Uluru. It's um, coming onto Uluru. Like it's, you, you see the the top of it and then you see little sand dunes about 40 k's out and then it grows in height and width. And, yeah, it's it's similar to that, I thought. I said to the board, like being out, you know, from Alice Springs going to Uluru and just watch this thing grow. It's just huge. Wow. And was the crowd responsive? Did you have a good time performing? Look, we were on the day stage, um, so the night stage would be amazing. And the boys took the mickey out of me because my boys played for everybody. And uh, when we dropped, when I met them there before we were coming in to get their armbands and all the rest of the stuff, they go, yeah, that's the day stage over there, Danny. I went, wow, if that's the day stage, the main stage must be freaking huge. You know, like, 
okay, this is going to be cool. So we've gone up behind the main stage and, you know, got a out and stuff like this, they've just cracked themselves up laughing and said, nah, mate, this is the main stage. We're at the day stage over in the middle. <laughs> no, it was cool. I mean, but it was an afternoon show, you know, like three o'clock. So I reckon we might have had a thousand people watching us, which was which was pretty cool. Yeah, it was just a shame I couldn't hang around, you know. We had to sort of get off stage and blow out and get back to marriaging real quick. Yeah. And we'd already seen I'd already seen Brad Paisley two nights before, but that would have been amazing. What a coup to have him. Um, locally at a, at a muster like that. Yeah, I thought that was wild to get to get an international artist in that environment, but I know they've done it before. So, yeah, but they knock it out of the park all the time, don't they? They've Alan Jackson, Cor Blunt, Keith Urban. They just seem to keep doing it and pulling them out. Yeah, well, I suppose there's nothing like it, really. Um, but yes, we could we could keep talking about the Denny Ute muster, but I want to talk more about your other festival appearances, perhaps this year. Have you had any? Have you played some some already? Have you got any coming up? Yeah, I should have a list here. We've got a heap coming up. We're busy right through to about March. But if you ask me what I'm doing, I couldn't tell you. I I, um, I seem to tackle each weekend as it presents itself. So I know this weekend it's relatively quiet. Um, there's a Caulfield uh, Wodonga races have got a Caulfield Cup day, and we actually knocked that gig back about three months ago because two of my boys, when I say my boys, our boys in the band are playing in America this week, so. <laughs> Knocked that spot back, um, but I found out they were in trouble two or three nights ago. So I rang the boys in America and I said, can we juggle some flights or something? It's an afternoon spot. We'll get you back to Canberra that night. And So we're going to do that this Saturday. Um, the following Saturday, I don't know. There's stuff coming up everywhere. We're, um, I don't know. Peace. <laughs> well, I mean, given the, the number of interests you're juggling, I can only imagine that, yeah, that's the way to, to tackle things is to not – worry too far ahead because otherwise you could just be endlessly pondering how you're going to get places how you're going to manage everything and and look after your energy and your time yeah it's so right for the way that you um summarize things you know it it's for me that's the only way i can really operate it gets overwhelming if i try and look too far ahead um just you know with the farm and the pub and music and people and and everything else so it's i think i'm in darwin actually the weekend after that so yeah, I just remembered. So, um, but yeah, for me, it's very much just, yeah, look at the week that's coming and make sure I try and do a good job of the week that's coming. Um, try and nail that and uh, try not to look too far ahead. Otherwise, it just becomes a bit overwhelming. To bring it back to the boxing, is having that in your life a method of managing everything? Because you know you're going to get just that pocket of time to be completely present. Because obviously if you're in a boxing ring, even if you're training, you need to be alert. You need to be there. You can't be thinking about everything else. You've just got to be there. So is that has that for you become a way of, of managing all those different things that you have to do in your life? I don't know. I think it's, it's good. I just find it's good for your head because it's an outlet of aggression. It's... Um, it sounds crazy, but, you know, it's it's not the worst thing to get punched either. Um, it just wakes you up and sobers you up a little bit. Um, it's, it's just a, I don't know, it's just a great thing. And you are saying there before, you know, it's, it's, it's such a great fitness thing too because you can't escape it. I mean, if you, you – know, I feel like people who are watching this are going to think I'm this enormous great fighter. I'm not. But, you know, I've done plenty of rounds in the ring and it doesn't matter if you're an amateur level like me or a professional fighter. It, uh, it's just you and another fella and it's a battle of attrition. And I quite enjoy that too, and I um I do enjoy the mind games too, like just the just the the slipperiness of it as well. Yeah, just a good blowout. It's a good all round blowout, and 
I'll do it for as long as I can. I, I haven't been back in the ring since my shoulder operation. I'm thinking this Thursday I might just try and get on the bag a little bit at a class and try and do something. But um, I'm... Um, I have developed the opinion in recent years that human beings need to whack things. It's actually very good for us because I'm a tennis player and that, yeah. that whole sense of, which is also a, in a solo sport where, you know, you talk about boxing being the loneliest sport in the world. Tennis, I think, is also a lonely sport, uh, particularly if you don't play doubles. But that sense of satisfaction actually whacking something um, is is really good at, at managing aggression, as you said, as an outlet. If there's any pent-up anger that people are having, uh, I know that talk therapy is really popular. I actually think whacking stuff works really well. I can say too. Yeah, I, um, I think it's just an outlet. I think you nailed it just saying that. It's just a nice outlet. It's for three quarters of an hour or whatever. And it's, um, I don't know, it just helps you line up all your ducks in a row for the rest of the day, I reckon. I find anyway. And you go to bed tired, which is well, always there you good. Go. I think we've made the case for boxing, at least for fitness purposes, <laughs> and also as the subject of a song. My missus would uh, yeah, try and uh, refute that. She was a sonographer and a radiographer before we started having kids, and she know oh, your brain is the most precious organ. It's that big, and you've got to protect it. And She can't stand it. I nearly wake up most mornings. If I wake up early enough, I'll just put on a couple of YouTube fights or something, and that starts my day for five or ten minutes. You know, I get a coffee and just watch someone but pounding the hell out of somebody, and um, she just doesn't understand that at all. <laughs> well, that's it's not her hobby, I guess, is it? <laughs> It's your hobby. <laughs> it's not felt this out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Danny, as it was the last time, it's a great pleasure to talk to you about this new song. I hope you'll release some new music soon and then we'll get a chance to chat again, but it's been great to talk to you for this one. Yeah, I plan to. Thanks, Sophie. It's been a bit of a hiatus, you know, with um, the big cough and everything. Uh, it's, it's just great to be back in the scene again with a couple of singles that are doing okay. And I've got half a dozen that are half written, so I'll, um, I'll get into them very shortly. Excellent. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.